Good morning, everybody. So today, in the first reading and in the gospel, we see two things in common. One, both contain trees or a shrubbery or some type of thing that has foliage, but they also have birds. First reading and in the gospel, there are birds living in the shade of these trees. Some of you may know I like birds, particularly the fact that they are all little dinosaurs. They basically have evolved from dinosaurs, but I'm not talking about that today. I, I want to sort of focus on these birds living in the shade of this tree and to be able to spend some time reflecting, maybe using our imagination, what life would be like. All of these different birds, all of these different species living in the tree. Now, granted, maybe you could hear the beautiful noise that comes from them, you could see the life, but I'd imagine that if the birds actually could, could think like humans, they would be getting on each other's nerves all the time. So you can imagine the blackbird looking at the cardinal, being sort of jealous and thinking the cardinal's going around showing off the red colors, thinking he's so great and wonderful. I'm sure all the birds are aggravated at the mockingbird. Why can't that mockingbird have its own voice? Why is it always imitating us? It's rude. It's not polite. The blue jay, which is so poised and beautiful and powerful, thinking the sparrow needs a valium. Too hyper, flitting around everywhere. Doesn't have any respect for my peace. I'm sure many of them might be angry in the morning. The woodpecker knocking and making that racket. No respect. Of course, maybe a robin or something is mad at the bird above him who um, accidentally poops on his head, not paying attention to what is going on below. You think of all kinds of things, but notice, nothing that I've mentioned happening amongst this sort of world of birds is malicious. It's not a hawk trying to steal some eggs or a crow there trying to destroy a nest. Not only birds being irritated, maybe selfish, maybe spiteful, but nothing hateful, nothing malicious. In fact, many of the things that I mentioned, the birds can't help. It's part of their nature. It is completely unintentional, maybe even done out of that own bird weakness. And so, what do you do? Who are these birds and sensing all of this aggravation? I'm not going to ignore it necessarily, but the option could be to chirp about it, to talk about how terrible these other birds are and disrespectful they are, or maybe even picking a fight. None of these things are going to work for all the birds to learn to get along with each other. They've got to learn to be patient with each other and their imperfections and their weakness and even potentially their sinfulness if they are going to live in that tree together. And so, what's the lesson for us? Well, if you look at the Lord's parable, we know that the tree is the kingdom of God. The tree is the church on earth. And in the church, there are all sorts of birds. Some big, some small, some colorful, not so much. And we can harmonize with some 
But the truth is, certain birds in the church are going to get on our nerves. They're going to annoy us. We're not going to like certain things. They're going to rub us the wrong way. We might even be shocked with some of the things that the other birds say or do. But just like the birds in the tree, we have got to learn to get along, to be patient with each other, to not chirp about each other, to understand our faults and our shortcomings and even our sins, and to be able to live together in harmony in the tree. Probably the best way that I can sort of offer us advice for guidance in this comes from a saint who actually compared herself to a little bird flying towards the sun, and that is St. Therese of Lisieux. She lived in a small convent with a lot of other birds who often got on her nerves, as we will see. And she sort of sums it up, what our attitude should be towards others and their faults and their sins and their imperfections. She says, quote, I know that true charity consists in bearing all our neighbor's defects, not being surprised at their weakness, but edified at their smallest virtues, end quote. But to really love our neighbor means that we're going to have to be patient with them sometimes, that they do sin, they do make mistakes, they do get on our nerves and can be annoying. From the life of Therese, there are actually a number of examples. Probably the most famous one of the way she lived this out was a sister, a story of a nun, who prayed next to her in the morning in the convent. And so I'm going to let her tell the story. She said, for a long time, my place at meditation was near a sister who fidgeted continually, either with a rosary or something else. Possibly as I am very keen of hearing, I alone heard. But I cannot tell you how much it tried me. I should have liked to turn around and by looking at the offender, make her stop the noise. It's the death stare of St. Therese. <laughs> but in my heart, I knew that I ought to bear it tranquilly, both for the love of God and to avoid giving pain. So I kept quiet. But the effort cost me so much that sometimes I was, was bathed in perspiration. And my meditation consisted merely in suffering with patience. And so here she is, so aggravated at the sister during her prayer that she's sweating. She's sweating because this nun, not intentionally doing anything, she's maybe got ADD, she's fidgeting, she's playing with her rosary, it's driving her nuts. And so it's even difficult for a saint. But the fact is, she chose not to stare her down. She chose not to make the snarky remark. In fact, she chose mercy. So this is something that we may have thought of. When we think of showing mercy, we think of the, the corporal works of mercy or the spiritual works of mercy. But as one author I'm going to quote here, her name is Carol Lubick. She uh, will probably be edified uh, soon. She was the foundress of a lay movement in Italy called Focolare, which means sort of the hearth uh, of a home. And she talks about the virtue or the need to show mercy with annoying people. So I'll give you the quote. She says, quote, putting up with annoying people, 
This too is a work of mercy and we don't always recognize it as such. Living side by side, we Christians certainly try to love one another according to Jesus' example and commandment. But despite everyone's goodwill, occasionally people with very different personalities end up living together. Thus, it is comforting to know that to put up with others is a work of mercy, to endure their behavior, their awkward manner, their nagging, basically to lovingly disregard what are really minor shortcomings. Similar to feeding the hungry and visiting the sick, this is one of the works that will be asked of us at our final examination." End quote. So to put up with other people, to put up with their nagging, their imperfections, their irritations, their sins, their griping, their bickering, their negative attitude, whatever it is, for us to put up with it, to, to learn to live with it, to not tear them to shreds is a work of mercy. And so I can tell you, as I'm sure most of you probably will say, over the past year and a half at least, I've noticed an increase of this, a struggle amongst Christians and Catholics and maybe people in general to be merciful to the faults, shortcomings, and imperfections of others. It's never easy. It really seems to have been difficult lately. Why is that? Well, I'm sure COVID and all the anxiety that comes with that has something to do with it, but I'm going to conjecture that it's something more. And this insight actually comes from Father Jacques Philippe and, and a new book that he wrote called Priestly Fatherhood. Even though it's about priests and fatherhood, it would make a great gift for fathers out there on Father's Day. He notices that in our society today, we tend to have less mercy for human faults. You see it all the time. Someone 10 years ago said something untoward on Twitter. Well, they're going to be canceled. Somebody offended us. Well, we're going to cut them out for the rest of our lives. This sort of way above board reaction to the smallest of things. And he posits the reason why is that in our culture and our lives that we have a lack of the presence of a father's love, particularly God the Father. And this is sort of the line of his argument here. He says that we all sin. We can't deny it. We hurt ourselves and we hurt other people and that we're not able to forgive ourselves. Often when we do something, we can't get over it. It bothers us. It nags us. And like the prodigal son, we need to hear the words of forgiveness. You're absolved of your sins. It's okay. We need to hear the words of absolution from a father. And in the church, we have confession, the priest, the words of absolution. But if we live in a society with no God, or we are practical atheists in our approach to God, or God is seen as something distant or a tyrant, then guess what? There's no forgiveness. There's not that icon of the forgiving Father, the forgiving God. Therefore, we're all doomed to live in the sense and the shame of sin, the guilt of sin, or 
he says, we're condemned to succeed. Because there's no forgiveness, there's no mercy. If we mess up, we're going to be ripped to shreds. We've got to strive for perfection that we're never going to get towards. And so there's a terrible fear of failure and sin, which increases anxiety. I see this all of the time. I think Father Jacques is correct in this, that this is a serious issue in our society. But to sum it up, what it all speaks to is this lack of a father's forgiveness, the lack of a father's love in our lives, gets to the root of the critical impatience that we see in our own lives and so often in the lives of others. It's our own insecurity. Our own insecurity because we are unsure of our identity as beloved sons and daughters because we do not know the forgiveness that comes from God the Father. Therese could resist the temptation to rip this other sister to shreds verbally because she was secure. Therese, probably more than any other saint next to Our Lady, had great faith that she was a beloved daughter of the Father. And so she was able to understand herself better and to look more mercifully on those around her. My experience is the fact that the people who tend to be the most impatient, the most intolerant, the most unmerciful, particularly to things that we know are not malicious, and unwilling to put up with the, 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 the weakness of others are the most insecure people. They're the ones who've got the deepest problems and probably the deepest shame. See, it's particularly in people who gossip, who talk about other people, who bring them down, things they don't like to get under their nerves. We bring people down to build ourselves up. We want to build ourselves up because we are filled with shame and insecurity. We can see that in others who might do that to us. Now, of course, the irony is we've got to be big enough to be able to be tolerant of them. We can't be intolerant of their intolerance. So what's the solution? And I'll wrap it up with this. And actually with this wonderful quote, got a lot of quotes today, from Georges Berninos, who a famous Catholic author who wrote that book, The Diary of a Country Priest. And he says, all too late... Experience has taught me that we should not evaluate people by their vices, but, on the contrary, by what they have kept intact and pure, by what there is still left in them of childhood, however deep we have to search for it. To look at what's good in them, what as bad as their behavior may be, and as much as we want to criticize them, and as imperfect as they are, there's still something left of the child in them. And so, by doing so, we help others to see themselves as the Father sees them, as a child, as essentially good. And hopefully, as we reach out to do that, we can shed our own insecurity and to see ourselves the same way as the Father sees us, beloved sons and daughters. Amen.